Would you like to thank these youth for leading church? I was just going to ask for an amen, but that's better. The elementary children are over leading at Ukaipa Church today with a choir. That's why you see some missing. And then we have these youth, and I just want to thank Pastor Dustin for reminding us and keeping fresh in front of our faces that these kids need a chance to lead out in worship. And we just thank you for doing this. Um, I'll just say it three times really quick. Mesa Grande Academy, Mesa Grande Academy, Mesa Grande Academy. That's where they're all from. And I hear that you had a mock election at school this week. Is that right? This week or last week? And I hear your presidential candidate didn't win. I'm sorry. And uh, we're not talking about the elections today. Remember last week we said we're all done. I did notice, though, that I, was, I got your results, and I hear that three from the junior class voted for anarchy. I'm not sure we're clear about what that means, by the way. But somebody wrote God in on the ballot also. So there you go. That's not bad. And church, I just want to say just very subtly, who said youth can't sing a hymn? Did you hear that? And uh, you should stay for the postlude because you can't say youth don't know how to play the organ either. So stay for the postlude. You won't be disappointed. Next Sabbath, next Sabbath, this platform will have two new banners that will take their places on either side of the screens. Two banners, Marianne Yorteg is birthing for us, really, uh, creating. Two banners which carry a summary of a mission statement from Scripture and our mission statement here at the Calamesa Church. Matthew chapter 22, there's a Bible where you're sitting. If you'd like to open this morning and read with me, Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's not far from arrest and crucifixion. He's in a situation much like last week when we looked at a passage together, caught in a a group of leaders where there's a verbal debate happening. Matthew chapter 22, beginning with verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law on the prophets hang on these two commandments. Which is the greatest law? That was the question. They know the law of Moses. They know 613 community laws that govern their living together, those of the Israelite faith. They know all the various interpretations of those 613 laws, depending upon where they live and and how devoted they are. And they're, they're not that unlike we are today, those faithful ones at the time of Jesus. We can say a West Coast Christian and an East Coast Christian and a Christian from the South, and we know And then there's that category all of its own, Southern California Christian, that need the most rescue. It's not that different. And some of us need a little more than others. They're not that different from us, really. 
They know all of the laws. They know the various interpretations of the laws. And yet they ask Jesus the question, what's the greatest? Jesus gives not one answer, but two, really. Yet these two commandments are so intertwined, it's almost not fair to have two separate banners that will hang. It's really not two separate commandments. They're so enmeshed and so interdependent one upon the other. Love the Lord your God, the one God from the Old Testament with everything you have. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus puts an exclamation mark on the end of his answer when he says in verse 40, On this, all the law and the prophets hang. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Like a hook hanging from the bathroom door where your bathrobes and towels rest. Like a nail in the wall hanging, carrying a heavy picture Here are the two great commandments, a hook on which all the law and the prophets hang. All the law? All the prophets? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, that's all the law and the prophets for those living at Jesus' time. All of those are going to hang on this one instruction. Every poem and every promise and every story and every commandment from the books that I just named, Jesus says they are all suspended on this one teaching. Love God. Love one another. It is a weighty answer Everything depends upon this. You know, this week I was reminded of how carefully Jesus can answer these questions. We were gathered as a staff. Pastor Dustin has this idea that we should record the first part of our staff meeting. The first few minutes, we look at the scripture that will be preached for the week, the upcoming Sabbath, and we discuss it together. Dustin has this idea, well, and he's not on his own here. The younger generations, one of the things they're listening to online are these kinds of conversations. They go quick, they're fairly concise, they tune in, they tune out, they get on, they cruise the the internet and go online and go listen to something else. So Dustin comes with this microphone the size of a pregnant cantaloupe, it was, this, it was, and he put it in the middle of the conference table there, plugged it into his computer, and just pointed to us and said, you're on. Now, in a room full of people where uh, no one's shy for opinions or an idea, all of a sudden it was mysteriously quiet. And he pointed at Isaac, and Isaac shrugged his shoulders, and he looked at Ken, and Ken had actually been the one the week before when we were thinking about this. Ken said, you know, we're really not that good on the spot. <laughs> you know, we're, we're really not that wise when you just tell us to talk. We, we have to think about these things. We have to work on it for a little while. And we recorded one of the lamest <laughs> conversations we've ever had. It was terrible. It's not going online. We're going to try again this week. What we needed was Jesus in the room. Dustin's right online. They're like concise, quick, weighty, something to think about, move on. What we needed was Jesus. Teacher, what's the greatest commandment? Well, it all hangs on this idea. Love God, love each other. What an idea. It all rests on that. Which is the greatest commandment? Two in one, Jesus gives them. Maybe Jesus keeps it short 
and easy to remember, so it will be memorable for them. But the summary is not watered down in any way, and we ought to remember that. When Jesus says, love the Lord God with all your heart and love one another, it isn't a watered-down version. It begs the question immediately, well, how do you do that with everything? How, how do you love God with everything? And how do you love your neighbors with everything? And what does it look like? Show us, Jesus. Loving God, loving people, that is our mission statement here at the church. If you're visiting today, you've dropped in on a Sabbath for this week, next week, we're, we'll think about this new mission statement, loving God, loving people, actually finds its little footprints in Deuteronomy 6, Leviticus 19. There are several great mission statements in Scripture. This is one. The great gospel commission. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of. You know that. There's another good mission statement. The end of Luke, the beginning of Acts, when Jesus tells his disciples, you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And then what's supposed to happen? The end will come. It's another wonderful mission statement in the Scriptures. For us, as a visioning committee, when we began our work the first part of the year in earnest, one of the things we thought about here at Calamesa was, what has life been like here as a church? And what, the, what has worked that we would like to take with us into the future? For many years, this church has organized its ministries very much around the idea of loving God and loving people. And in that order, loving God, being connected and attached and abiding in, in God in Christ... And then going out in the world, loving people. That, that's why on the front of your bulletin you see those two little taglines around Jesus' image where it says, listening to his voice, living out his love. It's not the mission statement. The mission statement's on the back and is a lot more cumbersome. But what's on the front is a summary of a, a ministry philosophy it's provided the way for this church to do business for a lot of years now, even if you didn't know it. And there is a priority there we would like to preserve as we move into the future. I'm going to say it this way this morning. It is good for us to be second commandment, two great commandment people. It's good for us to be great commandment people before we are great commission people. Do you catch it? It's good, it's right that we would be great commandment people before we attempt to be great commission people in the world. The Lord our God is one God, Jesus answers. To be great commandment people means to see yourself attached to that one God. Love that God. You notice when he's asked, what's the, what's the most important commandment? He doesn't answer with a rule, he answers with a person. Love God. By the way, this is one of the ways law has been distorted over the centuries, where now they can be, come to the place where they have 1,613 laws, and, and you know as well as I know, it's very possible to keep rules and never come to the person, isn't it? Jesus points them to a person. Now, we struggled a bit as a visioning committee with the word love, and using the word love twice. Partially because of the way the word is used today in the world. You know the contemporary use of the word. I love my shoes. I love my friends. I love my dog. I love the color green. I love you people. I love chocolate. I love video games. You understand. So we struggled with the contemporary use of that word. And then twice in the same little phrase, love God, love people. However, Jesus used it. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor. 
So maybe what would be helpful for us is to make sure we pause and capture the biblical understanding. When Jesus said, love God, love your neighbor, what did Jesus mean? That agape love. When Jesus says it, did you see the qualifier there? Did you see the very careful way it's expressed? Love God with all of. A good way to translate that is from the source of. Love God from the source of your heart, the center of your being, the core of who you are. Love God with the source of your soul. Your feelings, well, soul often gets translated as heart in Scripture. Love God with all your mind, from the source of your mind, your intellect, your ideas, your reasoning. And you know, in the other gospel passages, there's another word, love God with all your what? Strength. Love God with, from the source of all your might, all that you have within you. It isn't simply just love as in affection or, or romantic kind of love that takes on a depth when we're talking about God. Love God with everything from the source of everything you have. It really leaves nothing out. And I think that's the idea the text is trying to get at. See yourself as attached, connected, belonging, sticking, cemented to this God so that all you possibly have is connected, loves this God. Now next week when we place the banners on the wall and you see these phrases, loving God, loving people, I invite you to read it that way. When you read the phrase loving God, which will hang there, Read that as be connected to, attached to, abide in, stick to God with all that we have. That's what great commandment people do first. We see ourselves connected to God. Through the centuries, it's been said many ways by different great Christians, but I like the way A.W. Tozer says, the gravest question before the church is always God. Who is this God and what will you do with this God? It is possible in church we get these reversed. It's possible we are worried about being great commissioned people. And Adventist Christians have cared a lot about this for 170 years. That we go into the world and fish for people and bring them back. But it is possible to reverse this order. To be busy out in the world attempting to bring people back. And when we bring them back, what do we bring them back to? What do they have to live with when they come here? There is one professor of um, missions who has thoughtfully reflected on the world. Postmoderns, the world, we'll just call it that. The world today is not less interested in religion than ever before. They're not less interested. Indeed, they are exploring new religious experiences like never before. The church has simply given them a less interesting religion than ever before. Which makes me ask, has the church given them people who are less interested in God than ever before? Am I, in 2008, less interested in God than previous generations were? It could be that our churches are full of people who are just dating God. Dating the church. You know, at our headquarters office as an Adventist church this week, this weekend, our leaders are all gathered for their year-end meetings. One of the reports they've given, I'm sure this week, has to do with how many people have left the church this year. How many have gone missing? Not those who've asked to have their names removed, but those who've gone missing. 
I haven't seen the report yet, but I know that report's been given. It's given several times a year here just in our Pacific Union, and, and the average stays about the same. Eight to ten people go missing every day from Adventist Christian congregations. So if you figure 12 or 15 come in the door, eight or ten go unaccounted for every single day in California and Hawaii and Nevada, Arizona. Is it possible they go missing because when they come to church, they're finding Christians less interested in God than ever before? Christians who are dating God. Christians who are flirting with God. Christians dating the church, flirting with the church, contemplating our choices when, it, when it's convenient and when it works. I'll be attached to God. When it's a little inconvenient and messy, I'll, I'll take a break. When people observe us, do they see that we're attached to God personally, individually? It isn't a church attached. It's one person at a time attached to God. Do they see this? Do they see that then when we walk back out in the world, our lives unfold in such a way that shows we're attached and connected and sticking to this one God? We've organized things. Our dreams, our plans, our goals, our choices in life have all been reshaped because we're connected and we're sticking to this one God. Do people see that in us? Great commandment people. To be great commandment people... There is a cost. It isn't free. And it isn't easy. Simple, not easy. To be great commandment people, there will always be a cost, a risk involved. I was in a store this week standing in line. There was mom and children behind me, and another little one came running up to join this pack. A little girl came running with a a treasure in her hand she had found in the store, and she shows it to Mommy. Mommy, isn't it the best? Don't you just love it? And Mommy looked at it, and Mommy said, it's nice. But Mommy, don't you just love it? Don't you want it for yourself? It was a little bracelet that said, Jesus loves you. And Mom looks at it again, and she said, that's a very nice little bracelet. I do like that bracelet. Don't you want it for your birthday, Mommy? Isn't it just the best? Finally, Mom decided she should want it for her birthday. She said, I, I do like that. I would like that for my birthday. And child says, get out your wallet. It's going to cost you 12 bucks. <laughs> Mommy said, you know, I don't like it. So you go, it's okay. You put it back. We'll, we'll do that another day. There's a cost. There's always a cost involved if, if you decide you really like it. If you want to prioritize and focus your life, if you'd like to connect and attach and stick with God rather than just date, it will cost something. It doesn't come without work. There's a price. As a church, there's a price because if we decide loving God, staying connected and attached and prioritizing God is our first commitment, it means necessarily there are other things we won't do. We can't do everything else if we're going to do this. There will always be a cost and a risk involved if we want to be the two great commandment kinds of Christians. Somewhere, I don't know how this began in Christianity, at least in America, the idea 
has come in reaction to love and loving God. The idea has come that Christians have diluted all of this and made it so easy. Love, love, love. You Christians just want to wave the banner of love now. You've made it so easy. It is Jesus who says, and others in the New Testament, that love is the fulfillment of the law. It is humans who have distorted the law all along so that we can't even find the person we're to love. I invite you to look at the life of Jesus. Look at the man who's kicked out of his home and excommunicated from his synagogue. Look at the man who goes without so others can go with. Look at the man who rides into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey and drags his body up to Golgotha. Does that love look easy? Somehow the idea of love, 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 people say, well, you Christians, you've watered it down. No, no, no. I think love is the most difficult assignment, difficult assignment the church has. Loving God well. If you feel like you've lost your way and you're not sure what it looks like to love God, you never knew, or you're just at a little spot from wherever you've come into the sanctuary today, I think it's interesting There are a couple of examples for us in the Gospel of Luke. If you turn to Luke chapter 10, when the great commandments are recited in Luke chapter 10, when Jesus says, love God, love one another, there are a couple of little snapshots that come right after. Little scenes, picturesque scenes that that give us an example of what loving well looks like. The first one is the Good Samaritan, and I'm going to leave that one alone because Pastor Saul might like that one next week. I don't know, I'm just taking a guess. Right after that, though, the very next scene is Jesus moving away and stopping at the home of Mary and Martha. Now keep in your head, love God, love people. And here are the verses, Luke 10, 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. They sound like siblings, don't they? Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Now, gentlemen, this story is for you, by the way. I know sometimes we get to these characters in Scripture, and I've heard men say, that Mary and Martha story, I can't connect with that. By the way, as a woman, I can't connect with a whole lot of characters in the Bible, too. But this one is for all of us. Because in the Mary and Martha story, we just get a little bit of window into the pull in our own lives. And we see the challenge, as illustrated by these two women, of knowing what's most important. It isn't a story about who's more superior, who's more spiritually mature, who's right. It is rather, I think, a contrast for us. And it highlights our challenge of how sometimes we are unsuccessful at prioritizing. One has recognized what is urgent. One has not. 
whatever the worries were of the day, whatever the needs were for the day, whatever was on the to-do list for the day, one has recognized that something else is more urgent, and it teaches us that today, the only really urgent thing in front of you today is God. The only urgent thing that will be in front of you tomorrow is also God. And all week long, if you look at all the things you need to accomplish, what you must achieve and earn and do this week, still, the most urgent thing every single day this week will be God. And one in this story has understood that, that the ultimate concern, the gravest question, is always God. And how will you respond to this God? Mary and Martha give us a little picture into loving God well. What what are you going to do with this God? And they invite us, if the only thing that is needed today is to listen to Jesus, so set down whatever else it is. Set down your circle of friends. Set down your patterns and behaviors. Set down your accomplishments and achievements. Listen to Jesus today. Don't wait until your life is organized. You, You kids who led us today, don't wait till you're old like us. Listen to Jesus today. Don't wait until you've cleaned up to come and sit before your creator and listen. Don't wait for the church to tell you how to listen and what to listen for and how it should go. You listen today. Don't wait for death and divorce and disease and bankruptcy before you can sit still with your creator and listen. That's the glimpse Mary and Martha give us. How do you love God well? Stop. Listen. You, you have a church full of witnesses who will tell you, if you put it off to the day you're not busy, will that day come? You have a church full of witnesses. If you are one of those who never really has sat quietly with God, and you don't even know what you're listening for when you attempt to cr- connect with your Creator... I just want to give you one very simple prayer. It doesn't take a half an hour on your knees. It doesn't take reading scripture hours every day, although those things are fine and good. What if you just woke up in the morning and just simply said, God, I'm listening for you today. God, I'm watching for you today. And go through your day, and when you come home in the evening and you lay down tonight, say again, God, I heard you today. Here's where. I saw you today. Here's where. And then between you and God and the Holy Spirit, you will work out what's supposed to happen next. How do you respond to what God showed you today? How do you respond to what you heard today? That'll be between you and God. If you just would do that one thing in your life, church, I promise your life would change. I promise the life of the church would change. And when great commandment people happen to venture outside and bring some in from the outside, they also will be changed when they watch people who are attempting to love God well. There will be risk. Whatever God is calling us to do as a church family, there will be risk when we decide to stop and do this first. This is the most urgent thing we could do as a church. It's the most urgent thing you could do in your life. 
The great spiritual tragedy would be that we lose sight of this one priority of sitting with our creator, listening for that voice. We need God's help to accomplish that. You don't just will it to happen. You don't just try a little bit harder, and you must know this, right? Everyone who can hear my voice this morning knows how significant it is we spend time with our God. It takes an effort that God would bless, though. I just want to say that to you. Your effort, God will bless. I saw a little glimpse of such effort this week in a news story. Maybe you saw it, too. It was very touching to me. This week on Thursday, there was a very special scroll, a Torah, that was donated to the Hebrew Union College in Los Angeles. The scroll itself, they say, is a survivor of the Holocaust. Little tiny pieces of paper, little tiny bits of Torah, handwritten pieces of scripture that somehow made their way inside the Yaknov uh, Poland concentration camp. How did, it, the, how did a Torah get in there? When Jews who are in confinement like that are not allowed to have a Torah, are not allowed to hold religious services of any kind, how did it manage to survive? A couple versions of the story, but what seems to make sense is that when these, these uh concentration camp victims were allowed out for a few hours, they smuggled back in with them little pieces of Torah, taped to their body, underneath their clothes, on their torso, little pieces of scripture. For them, the best, the most precious way they could be connected to God is to hear Torah read aloud. So they have taped little pieces of paper and parchment to their body, come back inside the concentration camp, untape them, roll them up, stuff them inside of empty bedposts or underneath the planks in the floor or out in the cemetery in the ground, bury little fragments of scripture. Can you imagine? And then when the lights go out and they're supposed to be silent, when the guards are all around them, little faithful people take out their fragments of Torah. And they stand, lay in the presence of their God. Supposedly, in 1945, when the camp is liberated, these little pieces of paper were all taped together by one survivor, and, and that scroll made its way into the hands of one rabbi living here in Los Angeles. And that rabbi has just now passed away, and it was his lifelong wish that his widow hand the scroll over to the university, to the school, so that Rabbinical students can now take this Torah all around and tell the story. It's incredible, isn't it? Great risk, great cost, great sacrifice by what I think are second commandment people, even if they wouldn't agree with my categorization, just so they could have a little piece of God in their life, so they could stay connected and attached and abide in the one holy Yahweh God that they love. That is our mission as a church, to love God and to love God well. It will come with a cost. I just ask if you are willing to invest in that. The team is going to sing for us their own personal response. Listen to the words of a young generation. The gospel finds a fresh expression in every new generation. Listen to them respond to this challenge as we also Receive our tithes and offerings.